The Toby Gribbon Show. Highlights. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Melanie is an American singer-songwriter best known for her 1971 global hit, Brand New Key. And she's with us here just now. How are you doing? I'm great, but I'm always surprised when I'm best known for Brand New Key. But that's okay, because <laughs> um, there was, you know, look what they've done to my song-in-law and yeah. um, Candles in the Rain with Edwin Hawkins singers. And that was all before. And Beautiful People. Mm. Beautiful People. I think it's one of the most well-known songs, but I, it's okay. You can say <laughs> Brand New Key. I don't yeah, care. <laughs> to be honest, the real reason I only mentioned the one is because if I listed them all, we'd be here all day. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not talking about listing. It's mm. just, it's funny that that's <laughs> the one, you know, that yeah. is the one. Um, but, you know, people get known for stupider things than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's certainly true. So I think we can do this chronologically to start with. What was your musical upbringing like at the very beginning? The very beginning. I uh, grew up in a culturally diverse household. My grandmother uh, was um, an immigrant from Italy mm. uh, via Brazil. And uh, my uncle was a union organizer uh, yeah. with, um, you know, sang Woody Guthrie songs and Pete Seeger songs. And my mother was a jazz singer. She was um, a fan of Billie Holiday and Peggy Lee. And so musically, it was very diverse. You know, my grandmother would be walking in the street. I'd walk along with her and she would just break into song and some <laughs> Italian song. And um, I, it was fine when I was little. But when I got a little older, I thought, oh, please, Grandma, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's it's so amazing you know, that people can be uninhibited because she was from a generation that didn't watch themselves, mm. you know, because there wasn't a TV motive, you know, yeah. they didn't believe that. I mean, today people actually think that somebody's videoing their life, you know, <laughs> they walk out the door ready to be filmed, you know, mm. it's, it's a very self-conscious time. Yeah, absolutely. I guess we're living in a big brother age. Not only are we watching ourselves, but yeah. other 
others are watching us as well. Yeah, that's for sure. So was it pretty inevitable then growing up around all these musical people that you would have a go at it yourself? Uh, no, I never really thought that I that, that was something a person could do. Mm. You know, um, it was my generation that... Uh, gave rise to, um, first of all, extreme nepotism and <laughs> and uh, also the idea that it was a good thing to be a famous person because in my upbringing, the thought of your child becoming an artist or a, a poet or a singer or a songwriter was the most risky kind of a life and nobody mm -hmm. would encourage their child to do that, you know, mm -hmm. but... Uh, again, the children of the Woodstock generation, uh, everyone thought that my son could be the next Mick Jagger, you know. <laughs> yeah. so, but um, I, I think it was a little healthier before, you know, mm. it, it, is, it is a really hard life to be a, an artist. You're a target, you know, very, and now I, I, there's no line, you know, there's no line where you say, this is your private life and that's your mm. public life. There is no such thing. I still do that, you know, I mean, I, I still, you know, I don't like everything known. I don't think it's necessary. Yeah. I mean, what I do in everyday life is not that interesting, you know, yeah. unless I had to try to make it interesting and either way it's bad. So I like to, you know, be known for the songs and making music and performing and hopefully, you know, continuing to do yeah. that. It's weird that other people seem to like sharing every little detail about their life. And I in know. a way, it sort of ends up ruining their life because they're totally. just surrounded well, all the time. Well, you're not actually being in the moment. You're yeah. picturing what other people will perceive as your moment, oh, you yeah. know. So, so it's, yeah, I've, I really, I think um, social media and is very unsocial. <laughs> um, but, you know, it is what it is right now. People have to awake in their own way. You know, yes. I think it's, I've talked to so many people who are kids, you know, like I would consider you a kid. <laughs> um <laughs> I, who, you know, are, are awakening. They're awakening yeah. to the idea that they've been brainwashed, you know, <laughs> and uh, and that things maybe not aren't as they seem or have been told they are. You know, we are products of bombarding with information and the people with the most money to do that are the ones who get their point across. Yeah. Well, did you ever dream that you would become as big a musician as you have become? Or did you just want to be <laughs> a singer and not a superstar? Yeah, I just sang. I wrote songs ever since I was a little girl. I yeah. I wrote songs. I Early on, I wrote like torch songs, like the kind of songs my mom would sing, you know. Okay. Uh, there was a singer, Julie London, and she was very dramatic and uh, svelte and... She had a song called Cry Me a River. And I thought, oh, I want to write a song like that, you know. <laughs> and and so I, I would write, you know, these imitation, very adult themed songs, having no idea what I was talking about. Yeah. You know, just from pure imitation, like like um, sort of just pronouncing words in foreign languages and not <laughs> knowing what they mean. <laughs> and inspiration just comes from all sorts of places, doesn't it, really? Yeah, really, the most unlikely places, really. Yeah. I 
I hardly ever write when I'm really miserable, mm-hmm. which is supposed to be where you write, but yeah. it's after the misery, after mm-hmm. the misery when you oh, I'm not gonna die. You know? <laughs> I can now uh, I can express all that stuff that was pent up before. Yeah. But um <laughs> yeah, inspiration. I think about uh, the way I grew up. It was it was a, a really great time. My parents um, I grew up in New York City. My parents left me alone. You know, they didn't meddle with my head, which I think is another good thing yeah. that was children are just prodded. And what do you think about that? And yeah. what does Bobby feel when mommy does that? And I think that's intrusive, you know, yeah. like kids, first of all, they don't know how to articulate really. Yeah. So they might make up something in the same way that, you know, you mouth sounds and like I wrote songs about how could you leave me like this you know I was four years old I I didn't I didn't know anything about that but there was just something that it was alluring you know that idea of the romance the romance yeah I think somebody told me recently that after the age of about seven your personality isn't really you anymore it's just stuff that you've learned and it's kind of fake which is kind of scary to be honest it is isn't yeah. That's why I'm really glad my parents left me alone. Because, yeah. um, you know, I'd go out on a Saturday morning and I'd come home when it was time to eat. That was yeah. it. Nobody and nobody asked me what I did and who I saw and uh, if anybody touched yeah. me in an inappropriate way. Or yeah. any of that. You know, none of that. It was yeah. just... You know, I went out. I was a kid. I played. I played with dolls. So, <laughs> so I was about twelve. You know, yeah. I, I wasn't um, a television kid. You know, I was a pretty much out there. I read a lot of books. I was yeah. a book reader, mm-hmm. and so the pictures in your head become your own visions. Whereas, yeah. um, you know, watching a vision of somebody doing something on a TV or movie screen, there's somebody else's pictures, you know, and uh, you start translating those pictures. I remember the first uh, experience I remember about that. It was, uh, I loved Audrey Hepburn. Mm -hmm. I I mean, when I saw Breakfast at Tiffany's for the first time, I wanted to be Audrey Hepburn. And I called my first cat, Cat, (laughs) (laughs) which is the name of her cat in the movie. And I would look in the mirror and project Audrey Hepburn on my cherubic, <laughs> less than angularness, you know, mm. and I would almost see her in me. And so, I mean, that that's interference in a way, yeah. but, you know, you, you try to figure it out, you know, figure yeah. out who you really are. Yeah. And I guess your parents not interfering with you, I take it that's very different to them neglecting you. They were still there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, yeah. it would be probably probably you know considered neglect mm. you know at this this age yeah. but no, it, the, I was thrilled yeah. because I wanted to be in my own world. You know, I didn't want to be in grown-up world. I mean, what fun was that? You yeah. know, and um, so I, I was very happy. I'd go out, and I, there was a vacant lot around the corner where a building had been, and they demolished it. And I would dig in the, I guess, whatever they used in as a foundation had a lot of beach sand, mm-hmm. and I would find shells and for a new yorker who didn't get to the beach an awful lot you know this was 
magic. And yes. I would, I wanted to be an archaeologist and dig, yeah. you know, and or, or an anthropologist and and find these treasures and secrets and you know get answers. Yeah. So absolutely. So how did you first get discovered as a musician then? Yeah. Well, <laughs> my dad had ambitions for me. Um, and he he wanted me to be a debutante and wanted me to have a coming out party. And yeah. all his friends in business, their daughters were doing this. So he thought this was a good thing. And he wanted me to go to college. And uh, the, I, I was so miserable with uh, traditional education and not blending. You know, I did yeah. never really, I wanted to blend, but somehow that just didn't happen. And so I was always the oddball. It was pre-hippie labeling. So it was, you know, a beatnik, maybe oddball. I had, I was from New York. And when I went to um, high school, I was prop, just plopped into a, an environment where everybody grew up together mm. and they knew the same people from when they were little and they all knew everything about each other. And here I was the stranger from New York. <laughs> and so it was, um, I, maybe that was where it all started. I felt like I just never belonged. So I was, um, you know, a person who didn't think that that's what I was going to do. Um, actually celebrity on my leftist side of the family was, um, highly suspect, you know, anybody worthy wouldn't be a famous person, you know, in that, in any kind of music or anything. So I, um, my dad wanted me to be, you know, go to college and follow that route, marry a rich guy and, you know, have a happy life and have kids and all that stuff. And I, I didn't, you know, see doing that, that. And I ran away from home and, you know, you don't realize how, what you, when you're not a parent and you're a kid and you think they're your parents, they're tough, they'll take care of themselves. I had no idea how devastating this would be. And I, I didn't run just down the street. I went to California from New Jersey, which is right across the country. Right. So, um, I don't even know how this all happened, but I decided I was going to be free and live the life of the avant-garde or something. <laughs> so <laughs> I I went to um, California and yeah. I, I ended up in a, um, a girl's detention home because then oh. it wasn't instant. They knew where you were, you know, uh, yeah. It, it was, um, they didn't know. They knew that somebody was looking for me in New Jersey. So they put me in what they, you know, what, what holding place. So I, it was a girl's detention home. Wow. And um, it's uh, it's actually that whole story of running away is, is a book. Because <laughs> I met, during that whole time, I met um, an actor named Robert Ridgely. And I didn't know who he was. He, he was pretty well known. He had been the star of a TV series, The Gallant Men. And I met him on the plane and he helped me get into the Hollywood studio club for girls. And it ended up, I ended up in a girls' detention home. But anyway, after my parents came to get, my father came to get me, had to physically he came and got me and I was so relieved and so happy. Oh, daddy, daddy. Thank you. Thank you. I'm out of here. And um, he, on the trip home, he said, well, what are you going to do? You can't just 
stop being educated. You have to yeah. you know, continue. And we've talked about maybe going to music school or, you know, something I was interested in because I didn't uh, see myself, you know, taking algebra and geometry in a, a, a liberal arts uh, program or anything. And there were a lot less options then. Mm. There were music schools didn't teach the music business. You know, there yeah. was there was no pop music in, in traditional music schools. It was in you know, Berkeley and there was Juilliard. And uh, both of those places, we found out you needed to know how to read music and know theory. And I did know any of that i just sang since birth you know yeah. and and wrote and i had no no clue as to what i was doing so i i didn't qualify for that and then we thought maybe acting school now i had never really acted but um thought well it's kind of a similar <laughs> uh, you're on stage um so i auditioned for the american academy of dramatic arts and i got in and i i went to school and graduated from the american academy of dramatic and that is um i realized i was too shy and inhibited to go to auditions that was a big problem you know when you're an introvert you have to get over that barrier of you know letting people see you so i i had roommates and they would all go to auditions and get the 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 trade papers and read casting calls and things and i um never went you know but there was one audition and it was for a a girl who played the guitar and sang now girls didn't play guitar then mm. it really wasn't a thing you know yeah. um joan baez was a folk singer who played guitar but you know there weren't you know now there's guitars in model homes you go to yeah. a model home to see a house and there'll be a guitar but <laughs> guitars were you know an odd instrument and men played guitars you know mm. um so i i was i played guitar and I sang and they wanted a girl to play Barbara Allen in a musical, a dark, strange, eclectic musical called Dark of the Moon. Mm -hmm. And I just said, I felt like it was, you know, a calling. So <laughs> I went to the audition and sure enough, um, I, I, I knew the office building. It was a skyscraper in New York, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't know have the room number. I, I knew the name of the group that was putting the the audition on and I saw the doorman at that point there was a, a very official doorman with a uniform epaulettes you know and a hat and he would tip his hat to the people going in good morning Mrs. so-and-so and then he would turn his head and say mutter things like he must have had what we call Tourette syndrome you know mm -hmm. because he and you know he would good morning Mr. so-and-so <laughs> and and these little profanities would come out of his mouth oh. and I'm looking at him and I'm thinking this is the office building and I know that audition is happening in there and I have to figure out how to find out where so I finally got up the nerve to walk up to this doorman and I said do you know where they're auditioning for Dark of the Moon and he looked at me and it was one of those twilight zone moments you know he looked at me and it seemed like everything got real quiet. He made eye contact and he said, go to room 511. They're 
always doing weird things there. <laughs> so I thought, okay. <laughs> so I went in, I went up the elevator to 511, and I went into the office of Hugo and Luigi, and they were music publishers. I didn't know what a music publisher was. I thought that was somebody who prints sheet music, because I remember my mom had sheet music and, and a fake book, and it would say published by, you know. So um, I wasn't impressed, you know, at this. I said, are you doing, there was a receptionist out in this kind of an office green, you know, filing cabinets, not very nice looking, you know, office. And I yeah. said, do you know, are they doing Dark of the Moon here? And she looked at me like I was, you know, from another planet and said, <laughs> no, 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 you have the wrong room. And I started to cry. Wow. <laughs> so she said, wait, wait, let me see. And she looked at her building directory. She found where they were doing the audition for Dark of the Moon. And she sent me off. And I knew when I auditioned, they had me read with different people and they had me come back. And so I knew I had the part. Yeah. And I went back to her after and thanked her. And while I was thanking her, Hugo and Luigi came in. Now I have a guitar. And yeah. the actual people who wrote uh, Fool's Rush In, you know, they wrote yeah. major hits. And they said, what's this, Joyce? Does she want to audition? And, and I'm looking at them like, what are they talking about? <laughs> yeah. And she said, well, no, she was auditioning. And he said, set her up for Thursday. So I came back. Yeah. And through that uh, meeting, they, I mean, I, I walked into their inner office, which was Louis the Fourteenth matching gilded gold everything, you know, <laughs> plush thick carpet and these desks that faced each other. And, it, you know, this looked very, it looked like a museum in there. So um, they said, well, we're working on a Broadway musical and we don't have time, but we just hired a producer, Peter Shakarik, and he's going, he heads our production company and he's coming in, I don't know when, Wednesday. So why don't you come back and sing for him? So I did and the rest is history. I married Peter. We yeah. had a hit record and that is how it happened. And yeah. I know it was a long story, but... <laughs> well, I just want to ask a question that goes right back to the start of that story really because you mentioned in your song brand new key that you don't drive so if that's true how did you get all the way to california i went on a plane ah okay yes i because and then it was very you, you all you do is show up at the airport with a ticket yeah. and you could have a different name on the ticket oh. as then you know you didn't have to have id why yeah. mm. you just just got on a plane yeah. you know you as long as you had a ticket, you could get on the plane. So I was Eve Dane. <laughs> I I picked that name, and um, when I when I got on the plane, I met. Uh, I just happened to uh, sit next to Robert Ridgely, who was uh, later on. Ironically, he was in Boogie Nights, mm. which is the movie that used Brand New Key. Wow! And I I never thanked him, and I never got to meet him later after I became, you know, a, a, a name, yeah. I, I always wanted to, to meet him. And when I saw the movie and it said Robert Ridgely, but unfortunately next to his name was his born and his died date. Oh, so yeah. I was like, oh my God, you know, that opportunity uh, you know, to yeah. say what happened. And now he's in the movie that 
my song is in. I don't even yeah. know if he knew that it was me. Mm, that would be weird. I mean, would he have had any influence over the music in that film? Or No, yeah. I, I none. In fact, yeah. they said that there would be no explicit sex <laughs> in the, during that song. But they, of course, lied. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you actually wrote that song. Well, you came up with it anyway in McDonald's, didn't you? Yeah, no, I, I yeah, I wrote it. Um, yeah. It it occurred to me after um, I was uh, uh, I was obsessed with, with my health because I I kept getting sick. I was a vegetarian yeah. and I wasn't doing well as a vegetarian, but yeah. I kept pursuing different types of vegetarian. <laughs> um, I was a fruitarian. I was a breatharian. I was yeah. an ovo vegetarian. <laughs> I was a ovo pesca vegetarian. Anyway, nothing was really working. And uh, I kept, I, I was in a really, you know, a, a place where I was being in front of people all the time and it yeah. was very stressful and I kept getting ill. So someone told me, go to the health farm of Dr. Bernard Jensen. And he was the father of iridology in America, which is they read the little spots in the middle of your eyeball, um, in your iris. There are little, little different spots and they're very telling of, you know, weaknesses of your physiology. Anyway, um, he was recommended and I went out there and I had a few weeks before a very big important, I think it was Carnegie Hall that I was about to do. Wow. And I was sick and it was really a disaster. So I went out there and he put me on a fast on nothing, nothing but water. And I was on this fast. I, actually, he, he wanted me to break the fast, but I was like seeing God, you know, so I, I was like, no, no, I'm going to fast as long as Jesus. So, um, you know, so it was just, you know, what I was doing. So I was, um, he said, Melanie, I think it's time to break the fast and you're going to know your perfect diet because you're so cleansed and in tune with who you are. And um, So I believed him and I went home and I broke the fast just as he said on you know partially cooked grated carrot mm. um, a teaspoon of juice you know just very very gradually I went home and I was um I was really uh, loved going to flea markets um yeah. so there was one near where I lived in New Jersey called English Town mm. and I was there at four in the morning with my flashlight you know <laughs> and you'd come home with a big bag of stuff for ten dollars you know wow. and I I would go what's your dealer's price you know <laughs> and so um so i i was going home and i smelled something and, and i was hungry and it was mcdonald's and we pulled in and i thought well dr jensen said i was gonna know what to have so <laughs> i went from being a vegetarian faster uh, to I got the whole combo, you know, the yeah. the, the burger and the fries yeah. and the, milk, the fiberglass milkshake. And there I, I finished my last bite of burger. And this song, this idea of 
learning how to roller skate. And I don't know, maybe it was the smell of rancid grease or something. <laughs> and I was like this, I just had this whoosh of memory and remembering my dad holding the back of my bike and yeah. uh, riding. And, and that song just popped into my head. I yeah. finished it when I got home. Peter heard it and said, what's that? And I said, oh, just some little song you know yeah. and he said no no do that part again and i got a brand new part. anyway <laughs> and he, i said no it's just a silly song you know <laughs> I, I i write every day i still do um and i didn't really think of it as you know something that could be a hit record <laughs> and my husband heard it and he was a producer a shameless hit record producer and he said no no melanie that's a hit and I went, no, <laughs> if that's a hit, and I will just interject this quickly. I was already um, not considered uh, one of the girls. You know, mm -hmm. I wasn't, again, angular and serious. And I was just considered a little too bit of Woodstock fluff. You know, mm -hmm. there wasn't any uh, relevance, you know, to what was going on. But that was you know, the Rolling Stone take on, on who Melanie was. And I always felt that, you know, an, a, attacked by the Rolling Stone. Hmm. And so I thought, oh my God, if this is a hit record, I'm doomed to be cute for the rest of my life. <laughs> and it's exactly what happened. And oddly enough, that was on my own record label. Hmm. I, had, I had started Neighborhood Records and uh, I figured I was going to have our artistic freedom and I didn't like the way they were packaging me you know and yeah. kind of pushing me to be a certain way so I thought this record label would be freedom and um, that was I didn't realize I was slapping the face of a lot of big people the only artists who had a, a, their own major label were the Beatles, yeah. Apple Records. And here I was with, who do I think I am kind of thing, you know, <laughs> but I did, I, it was all unbeknownst to me, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, I proceeded to make enemies in high places. Yeah. And an interesting thing about that song is you came up with it in McDonald's and it was actually <laughs> featured in a McDonald's advert once. I know. And I didn't get paid a penny for <gasps> it. <laughs> Outrageous behaviour. Yeah. Oh, it is. It's really outrageous. It's it's um, an ongoing. Um, I'm I'm. We're talking about releasing an anniversary. It's the 50th anniversary of Gather Me, which is the album that Brand New Key was on, and yeah. uh, I'm I'm releasing it through a, a human rights record label yeah. <laughs> called Article Article 27 Music. So we'll see how that goes. I'm I mean I need Paul McCartney's lawyer. You oh, know. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose the McDonald's excuse might be that you wrote it there, so it belongs to them. <laughs> no, I don't think they even thought about it. <laughs> it yeah. just, you know, it just got wheedled away from me. And yeah. I mean, the, the powers that be in the industry just hope I'll go away, yeah. but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> And this is an annoying question because you've probably been asked it a million times, particularly by people from the UK. But what do you think of Combine Harvester? Oh, I, you know, I, I didn't think anything bad at all. I mean, mm. um, I, I loved it. I thought it was yeah. cute and adorable. And 
and I loved the accent. And oh, yeah. uh, it was it was such a funny, funny song. That yeah. How could you not like it? But <laughs> um, and of course, if, if it had been the B side, some say I, I some say I got devil. I might have been upset if, <laughs> if they did a parody on that. But mm. because it was brand new key, yeah. it was just a fun song anyway. So yeah. why not further it? So you definitely weren't thinking, look what they've done to my song, Ma. No, no, <laughs> no. That happened in the studio. When yeah. It was quite literal. Uh, mm. You know, they were Peter would have a song and even be before, you know, as to me, a song has to live before an audience, before it yeah. really get is, uh, you know, becomes what it is. Yeah. But um, it, it, a lot of times, because the demand was, you know, a couple of albums every year, mm. you know, or one a year at least. And um, because of that, the song sometimes didn't get a chance to live yeah. before it was recorded. And it was kind of like, look what they've done to my song. <laughs> um, yeah. But it, it's, a, it's a great analogy for look what they've done to anything, and especially in the arts, you know, when mm. somebody creates something and a movie is made from a book or something like that. And mm. the, the, the author says, that's not what I wanted, you know, and, <laughs> And that's not who I wanted to play mm. that person. But once you create something, it's it's born, you know, yeah. and you you do lose a certain amount of um, artistic control mm. over what what it is. Yeah. But no, look what they've done to my song. I love that song. In fact, that's that's the song that brought me and Miley Cyrus together. Oh yeah, um, and we sang that song together. And um, you know, it, it's just opened. It's amazing. Amazing. I, I'm always <laughs> absolutely floored to think that a song I wrote 50 years ago is being used and played and, and is as relevant to whatever it's being lent to, yeah. that it, it, it still has something that... That's what a song is. A song isn't a hit. Mm. A song is either a song that people are going to, you know, it, it touches a certain place in a yeah. person and it touches people in different ways. I, I'm so grateful that I'm able to still, and even better now because time has a way of, of I mean, what I used to take so seriously, like, you know, how people perceived me and yeah. And things like that. It it um it means so little when your song becomes it has its own life and yeah. it lives through all the people who come to see me. You know, it's it's great. I, I'm so happy I lived long enough to. Um, I'm glad I didn't die at 27. Oh yeah, <laughs> no. that wouldn't be particularly pleasant. <laughs> no, I would never have found out. You know, yeah. and I love the kind of backyard sessions that you did with Miley Cyrus because she's a current star and it's fair to say that you were a star in the 70s and 60s so it's sort of an intergenerational thing coming together yeah that was that was really cool yeah. and we're both one name people and oh, yeah. That's true. our names both start with m <laughs> yeah and uh when we first um she she said you know when we first started i'm sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, 
like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I started talking. Uh, she had done, look what they've done to my song law in her early backyard session um, where she was kind of... A, a granola cookie, you know what I mean? She had got a, she had a bun and the back of her, the nape of her neck. And um, it was, it was, um, a, you know, a different Miley um, incarnation. And when uh, she said, we have to do something together, that was right after Wrecking Ball. Mm. So um, the first thing that came out of my mouth when she said that was, what do I wear? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, mean, I just pictured the two of us on wrecking balls, <laughs> yeah. but um, you know, people are so hard on on celebrities, mm. and I I understand. You know, there's they think things. You know, like um, the Dire Straits song, "I Want My MTV." You know, yeah. we've got to pick up microwave ovens and look at that, look at that, <laughs> look at that guy. Yeah. he's got a millionaire and, mm. you know people don't realize what it is you're such a moving target so i i no matter what a person uh does musically or visually or where they lend their talent i don't i don't um judge them because it, mm. it's really a hard life yeah being a celebrity I mean, I, I will say that there it's become an industry where it's not about the music at all. Mm. And uh, to me, that's a shame for the people who are the audience because they don't get that emotional support 
from the music that they buy. I mean, mm. they get told that it's their emotional support, <laughs> but it's not actually, you know, they don't run home with their vinyl and read the liner notes and yeah. what it took and, and everything about the making of the album and all the photos. And it was, it was really a, a big moment when somebody... Like when Joan Baez came out with an album, I, I took that album. It was, you know, every detail was so important to me in my room by myself. You know, it, it gave me it, it gave me a, an uplifting, you know, it, yeah. it was really a, a strong emotional support. Music was um, wasn't just the flavor of the month, you know, it was important yeah absolutely. so I, I feel like you know a lot of people are really missing out and uh, that's why a lot of kids you know gravitate toward uh 60s music mm. uh, because there was a lot of uh people were talking about things that you don't hear about anymore in music yeah. you know yeah absolutely there seems to be a kind of resurgence of 60s music yeah. in younger people i wonder why yeah that is. well yeah i wonder <laughs> <laughs> i guess because you know the the alternative is um is pretty much uh it one one um note you know where where you i mean one song just kind of runs into another mm. and it's all this sort of um ambulance sirens or something you know there's a yeah. ah, 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 ah. and then there was the occasional whoa whoa you know <laughs> or something uh but it it's not um well i think there was some statistic that all of the top 40 hits or whatever they're called now are written by two different guys. Oh, yeah, that's true. There's one Swedish the... guy and one American guy. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Now, that's an impossibility unless there is really a major control. Mm. And I've already been talking way too much and I'm, you know, I've been not banned on Facebook, but I think... Um, I don't reach all my followers anymore. Yeah. I, I think beautiful people might have been the clincher, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they want anybody thinking that, you know. Mm -hmm. the, um, developing a kind of wariness about each other, you know. Yeah. Of course, if you're terrified that you're going to be sick because you're next to someone, even if it's your mother or father or sister or best friend, then it develop you develop this distance. Mm. A distance gets formed, and um, yeah, I'm not I'm not trusting what's going on now, right? Yeah, I guess that's something that people haven't really talked about enough. That once this is over a lot of people will just be scared to do anything again yeah i mean it, it starts to become like oh you know yeah. it started with this you know mm. everybody doing that instead of yeah. a hand hand an open hand is so mm. it's so vulnerable you know yeah. it's just like an open hand holding another hand yeah. it's it's so meaningful mm. two fists coming together yeah that's a great elbows or something it's yeah. just Oh, your elbow is definitely mm. not the same. And <laughs> my understanding is that COVID doesn't really spread from touching hands anyway, right? So you might as well. Oh, there's so much misinformation. And yeah. again, you know, I mean, the, 
censorship is just out out i can't believe what that they're allowed to do you know and supposedly the name of free speech you know and it's all been politicized as well it has nothing to do with politics it's it's your health and what you want in your body and people aren't finding out that's that's all i can say yeah absolutely the world's got a bit wonky wonky yes i love that word (laughs) very wonky totally now one thing i didn't really realize before researching you was that there were only three women to perform at woodstock and they were joan baez janice joplin and somebody that you might be familiar with (laughs) by the name of Melanie. Who was that? Yeah, I know. It was crazy. And (laughs) I was actually in England during the whole year before the festival went on. And the only reason I got to be in it Mm. was that the people who were organizing it were in the same office building as Peter, my husband's office. And, you know, somehow it worked. Yeah, you should be there, you know. And and I had no idea. It was called the Aquarian Expo. Exposition, mm-hmm. the original name. It wasn't yeah. called Woodstock. It was called yeah. the Aquarian Exposition. And um, the early art was very uh, deco or nouveau, uh, beautiful poster that I had. Um, and it, it turned out, you know, that they were going to have it at Woodstock. And then the town rejected the idea. And then they had to find uh, some place to have it. And they had Mac- Max Yasger opened his farm. And- <laughs> <laughs> the rest is history. But I was in England. I was writing a film score and uh, John Campbell was the arranger. And um, it was all kind of exciting stuff. I think the Rolling Stones were in the studio next door. And I was um, doing these like kind of showcase Things I had never met a famous person before. Wow. Um, the first famous person I met, well, he wasn't famous yet, was um, Rod Stewart in The Faces. And mm. uh, but I didn't, you know, again, he wasn't a big deal yet, really. Mm. He was in a group, <laughs> a guy in a group. So, um, but you know, this was it was this was my I thought maybe. This will be me, you know, behind the scenes. Mm. I I think I preferred that, you know, at that point. And um, yet there is something about being in front of audiences that is like nothing else. It's just you become who you are Mm. because somehow they can see you, you know, and, and that projection becomes... Uh, you, you understand who that is, you know, and uh, I I know now that I mean my my audiences have created Melanie. I yeah. I would just have been a potter, you know, <laughs> making pots in North Carolina or something. That I did actually after my first year of acting school, I thought I don't know if I want to do this. I'm going to be a potter. <laughs> I loved working with clay and. Um, so I thought that's what I'll do. And I was investigating different glazes and I was very into pottery, <laughs> but um, I, I learned how to throw pots, you know, you throw the clay on and learn how to center it. It's very Zen, you know, mm. and uh, but that wasn't to be, I met yeah. Peter the next year and yeah. <laughs> I had a hit record. Yeah. Some people get to pay dues before they're successful. Yeah. I didn't pay any dues before I was successful. 
except in the angst of my life. But I didn't actually, you know, have to struggle and work and do gigs and be a waitress or any of that. You know, I was, (laughs) I met Peter. All of a sudden I had a hit record. It was called Beautiful People and um, the rest, you know, we kept releasing songs. I I didn't get a chance to decide whether I was going to be a a singer. You know, it just happened. (laughs) And so... Yeah, and Woodstock, the song Lay Down, Candles in the Wind, was actually inspired by performing there, wasn't it? It Candles in the Rain. <laughs> I was candles. thinking of Elton John no, for a second. I know, everybody <laughs> does. Every Hi, Elton. <laughs> <laughs> Reggie, we're here, and I am, um, I am being told that I wrote your song. <laughs> no. But uh, it was Candles in the Rain, yeah. and it was inspired by the, the hillside lighting up mm. and uh, i was at Woodstock. i was at the fields early on in the day right after R- richie havens was performing when i descended the field in a helicopter and I-, I thought i was on next and i wasn't and i spent the whole day in this little tent in terror mm. i was all by myself there was no one with me i didn't have a roadie i didn't have i mean my mom drove me up to woodstock but when we got to the helicopter the guy in charge said, oh, who's this? And I said, it's my mother. And he said, oh, no, mom. Sorry, mom. Bye, mom. And I got in the helicopter by myself. And I mean, the terror was mounting. Again, I had never met famous people before. And when I got to the hotel where I was told to meet, there was Sly Stone and Janis Joplin was surrounded by media, you know, microphones and she's slugging Southern Comfort. And I'm like, I'm in the wrong place. (laughs) I've got to get out of here. um, That, you know, I was Melanie, Melanie. And I went to the helicopter and I, why am I going in a helicopter? I've never been in a helicopter. I don't like helicopters. (laughs) And there I was, you know, I descended the field and waited all day in a little tent with a dirt floor and a box. And I, I thought I was going to die. I really did. Yeah. I just, I first of all, everybody had a band, yeah. you know, everybody had, and they all had hit records and they'd all been on television and they'd all, you know, been on covers of magazines and stuff. And here I was, uh, basically I was an unknown. I mean, I had what was then called a turntable hit and it was beautiful people, mm. but maybe 1% of that audience connected that song with the person on that stage yeah anyway i i, I waited all day all day and i i was i just you know i i prayed to god that something would happen and they would change their mind and i didn't have to go on right. and uh it had started to rain and i thought thank you god <laughs> you've answered my prayers they're gonna go all go home right everybody's gonna go home so it was the first day of the festival and i really 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 thought everybody will go home it's raining they're not gonna sit here in the rain and um i was very wrong <laughs> i was in this reverie of thinking i'm just saved i'm saved and somebody came in and said you're on next only this time it was for real yeah. because all throughout the day that people came over and you're next you're next never mind never mind and so, you know, I was in my, it was like I was going to face a firing squad, you know, yeah. and everybody, people asked me, how was it hanging out with Jimi Hendrix? And, you know, 
I didn't hang out with anybody. I was in my room, my room, my tent <laughs> with a dirt floor. And all the big stars were in this big area. They had a big tent with upper echelon amenities. In fact, my one um, cuddly Woodstock moment before I went on was uh, Joan Baez sent over her assistant and she, she said, excuse me, Joan heard you coughing because I developed this deep bronchial cough and mm. it, it sounded like demons, you know. I mean, it really, it got deeper and deeper and louder and louder. And it's a wonder I could sing at all by mm. the time I coughed and coughed all day. And Joan Baez sent over a pot of tea with lemon and honey. And I thought, Joan Baez? Yes, this is my idol, you know. Um, I, I went out to imitate Joan Baez and uh, definitely didn't get that right at all. <laughs> but, um, you know, this was an impossibly wonderful, cuddly moment. And uh, I always wanted to tell her about it. Um, have no idea whether she remembers it or not. You know, yeah. she was she was just a good person trying to help somebody she heard suffering. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but that was my Woodstock moment. And when I realized I was going on that stage for real, and I'm walking toward that plank, I'm walking on that wooden plank to my certain doom, I actually left my body. Wow. And I, I wasn't altered by drugs. I was a purist. I was, again, I had been on fast. I'm a vegetarian. Now I'm, I was told I have to eat meat once in a while. It was, that's the kind of body type, blood type, everything was wrong for vegetarianism. So there I was um, walking on the stage and I wasn't in my body anymore. Mm. And I, I actually saw my performance. I can see where I wasn't in my body. Right. Um, and I I always felt that um, the phenomenon of me at Woodstock was I walked on the stage an unknown person and walked off the stage a celebrity. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and again, uh, it's very funny because I would uh, t tell uh, this story of being experiencing being a, sp a spiritual being, basically, rather than a body. You know, I could see my body and I, you know, but I, who I am, was not in it. Yeah. I watched it, and I I believe that the 500,000 people who were there got to see that, too, whether they knew what was happening or not. And wow. I so resonated with that crowd. It was incredible. And they didn't know any of those songs. In fact, I was um, – I'm going to do a, a Woodstock uh, three days of um, peace, love, and music, and I'm going to do my exact set. <laughs> I had never, ever since – Woodstock done that set. I don't know how I came up with those songs. It was all the spur of the moment. It wasn't yeah. like, you know, well, Melanie, you have a new album, so quote, push this, or, yeah. you know, make sure you sing that or something. In fact, Birthday of the Sun is, was a song I had just written wow. and hardly, hardly had it down when I sang it. 
in front of all that, <laughs> those people. And I mean, what was I thinking to do a brand new song that nobody had ever, and none of those songs had been heard except maybe, again, beautiful people. Yeah. And when I say turntable hit, that is something that can't happen anymore because uh, all of radio is controlled mm. and, you, you know, DJs don't play just what they want. You know, they yeah. play what they're told to play. And Beautiful People was just found by a, a DJ in New York called Roscoe. Mm. And he played, he played Beautiful People and it became like an underground, it went viral before there was such a thing. And yeah. I, it was, I was on uh, Radio Caroline, Radio wow. Veronica, out in the ship, you know. <laughs> and um, it, was, it was really an exciting time, you know, feeling yeah. like you're going against the, the, the powers that be that were yeah. evil, you know. <laughs> but they got that nipped in the bud very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you're a big part of history then, being on the pirate radio stations. Yeah, yeah, it was incredible. Yeah. Uh, they, they were, I think they sponsored um, my uh, my concert at the Drury Lane Theatre, ah. which we, we finally recovered and we released it. And it, that was um, with the incredible string band, Mike Heron and Robin Williamson. Mm. So... Yeah. That was um, it was a great concert. We have that is out somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah. I am, by the way, on I'm totally independent. My husband passed away, which left me <laughs> in a totally different universe. My mm. son and I performed together. Yeah. And again, we're going to do this um, online show on the 15th, 16th and 17th. Uh, if we can get it together, <laughs> so, yeah. so I'll um, I'll send you any information I have, and yeah. hopefully you can tell people. Absolutely, because it's short notice, but yeah. hey, this is instant. Everything is instant. So, mm -hmm. but I'm going to do the set that I originally did at Woodstock, and it ended with "Birthday of the Sun," which I had just written, yeah. and it's incredible. I, and and the funny thing is, people, the kids, especially if they come to the concert, they'll say do birthday of the sun and i think i never do that song <laughs> i've never but that was the one that i was on one of the woodstock albums so yeah. that's a lot of people have that so i'm gonna do it i'm gonna yeah. learn it <laughs> so. yeah. and another festival that you performed at was of course kind of britain's flagship music yes. festival glastonbury so yes. what was that like was that fun uh, again, you know, I was working so much. Mm. I had so many shows that were booked and, and this um, and Glastonbury was this magical <laughs> thing that, that was, um, you know, we were all going to be transported to another universe or something. <laughs> that was that was that year. I don't know. That might have been the second, the second Glastonbury. Yeah. But um, I was uh, very, very exhausted when I got there. And, and they let me rest in the farmhouse. Yeah. And uh, uh, it was incredible. There was such a mixed group of people. You know, there were yeah. people in, in England. I always thought they, they truly dramatized 
the hippie look, you know, that was, it was, it was the costumes, I'll call them costumes, were much more elaborate than they were in the States. In the States, people wore hippie clothes, whatever they found in their closet, you know, or altered their, you know, dad's shirt or something, <laughs> tie-dyed something. But in England, people were beautiful, you know, yeah. it was like, oh, wow, this was incredible layers of clothing and scarves and yeah. i'm i was a fan of um sulamith wolfing yeah. and uh the the her art was um, very uh, celtic inspired and yeah. when i saw what people were wearing in england i was i was so impressed you know but um yeah they they really took it to the max you know yeah. it was uh, much more personified in yeah. england um, and so I was really excited about that. And then there were like guys in leather jackets, you know, with, <laughs> with uh, you know, making their own beer and giving me some, you know, <laughs> but uh, it was, it was just a great eclectic mix of people. And um, yeah, I, I rested in the farmhouse and I did, uh, I did a show and it was pretty amazing. You know, in fact, um a, a, a writer, I, his name is Mark Patris, wrote a book called Gigs That Changed the World. And he was there wow. and saw my show and wrote about it. Um, it's always nice when somebody are, can articulate your moment, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was pretty spectacular. And I would say I was a lot more there. I didn't leave my body. <laughs> I was there the whole time. And again, I was unaltered and it um it was it was very magical. It really was. And I did a, a reunion, um, I don't remember what year, a few years ago, maybe ten years ago or so, uh, a Glastonbury reunion, but oh, yeah. it was it was so sad, really, for me, because it was, I'm sure people have a good time and I'm not taking anything away from it, but it just wasn't, it didn't have that humanity, you know, yeah. that um, that it did then. And uh, in fact, recently, um, somebody had said, would Melanie, uh, could you do Glastonbury? And the people who were in charge said, oh, no, we'd rather her fans remember her as she was. Mm -hmm. I, you know, That's I, a bit so they, weird. they refused me. Yeah. I mean, imagine that. Yeah, it's a bit <laughs> of an insult, really. Oh, you think? <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, yeah, sure. Well, what happens? Um, you know, you hopefully you get older you know yeah. that's that's what's supposed to happen and um although i i really do think it it is backwards and that yeah. it would be better if we started out old and then progressed to be younger and younger you know yeah. and end up that way rather yeah. than um you know the other way around but yeah. i didn't create the whole thing you know i yeah. have i'm very little to say about how um how it's gonna work yeah absolutely unless you're benjamin button you're gonna start out young and be old yeah that's the way that's the way it should be yeah, i guess it's only fair though if it happens to everyone else as well i think because in his oh, yeah. case he was sort of left out and couldn't really have any kind of relationship oh. 
So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it has to be everybody the same yeah, way. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess you'll feel better about yourself as time goes on. You start looking younger and <laughs> yeah, feeling more energetic. And yeah. Oh, yeah, that's definitely true. So what have you been working on more recently in terms of musical projects? and anything? Well, it's, it was very difficult because I was a full time performer. Mm. Um, and then, you know, I was an unessential worker, a non-essential mm. worker. And uh, every, all the opportunities, I, I totally didn't believe that this was going to happen. Um, mm. I, I bought my airline ticket for a, a venue in Seattle, Washington, and yeah. people were saying, oh, I don't know. You know, that's like ground zero for COVID. And oh. I said, oh, please, come on. So the venue said, um, no, we're, we're doing it, but uh, we have to go new guidelines. We can only have, uh, you know, a certain amount of people in the venue, but we're still putting it on. So I bought my airline ticket <laughs> and had my hotel reservation. And the day that I was going to fly, it was off. The venue said, no, we're not allowed oh, to wow. have a show. And that was, what do I do? Yeah. I mean, what do I do? So we started investigating, uh, doing live Facebook shows. And there were so many glitchy things that happened with those. And also, uh, get, you know, getting support monetarily is you know, very difficult in that, that situation. So, uh, you know, we start thinking of ways to survive. It, it, um, I mean, I'm in the same boat as a lot of other people, you know, most, yeah. so many people. Um, and I mean, I, I was, I thought, you know, it was kind of cool that Eric Clapton said he won't perform in a place that discriminates, but because yeah. I really, I think that's it's just, it's evil to put pe pit people against each other like this, you know, mm. the vaccinated and the unvaccinated and the vaccinated who are dying and the vaccinated who are sick and, yeah. you know, the unvaccinated who are getting the things from the vaccinated, you know, <laughs> shedding and spike proteins and all the misinformation and the hypocrisy, you know, and uh, anyway, I, I just keep singing and I'm, I'm doing these online shows and hopefully you people in the UK will come and see me mm. and uh, that's one great thing about this platform that we found is it's the show is on for three days. It's pay what you can. Yeah. And um, it's up for three days, any time of the day or night. Because yeah. that was another thing. What what time should I do the show? Yeah. If it's three in the afternoon, it's nine o'clock at night in England. And yeah. uh, it, it's it's brutally early in Australia. And, you know, so what do you do? But this platform, they have it so that you could, it's up for three days. And yeah. you want to come, you can see it. You don't have to pay anything or you can be kind and, yeah. and do what you can. Yeah. So. And I suppose one benefit, probably the only benefit really to having to do shows online, is that people can watch you without having to get on a plane and see you if they live far away. That's true. Or trains or buses or whatever. Yeah. It's true. And me too. I don't have to travel. Yeah. I travel, you know, from one room to another. <laughs> but um, And that that is nice. But I'm going to tell you, hmm. I miss. Yeah. I miss the rapport i miss 
I miss that communication that goes both ways. Um, and, you know, live comments don't do it. And, mm. you know, you, you don't know who's out there watching you. With this platform, you actually sign up and you get an assigned ticket, you know. Yeah. So, so I'm really happy about it. It's called Anywhere Seat, I think, right? Uh-huh. Hey, you don't, you don't even have to sign up. You, you don't, don't sign up. No, no, you just literally get a code and then boom. Oh, you go yeah. online, you get a code, and then you're there. It's anywhere seat, right? <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. but we there would be a link, and we could send directly a link to him. Oh, uh, yeah, I could send you a link. Uh, so yeah, you want to see me, don't you? I do. Yeah, I will. <laughs> All right. Well, you have no excuse. It's on for three days. <laughs> you can, yeah, if, give me your email. I'll... Um, um, it's I'll, just... Okay, you're going to get an email from a strange email. <laughs> My last name, which is, I had the hardest time. That's why I went by Melanie. It was, yeah. My original name, Safka, mm. was too ethnic as far as the record labels were mm. concerned. The, the easiest thing would be once we have the link, it'll be on your Instagram and Facebook. So we'll we'll just post that, and then yeah, literally you yeah. click. Yeah, I'll post it all on my social media. Oh, so yeah. Yeah, they just click on the link. And it's, they yeah. click on the link, and they're there. Mm. I mean, yeah, at, at the first time I did um, Facebook uh, concerts, and I had all these, you know, I didn't even know what this was. Trolls. You know, trolling and all these, and I oh, yeah. imagined, I imagined uh, an audience full of Beavis and Butthead. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, definitely people wouldn't get me. You know, yeah. so. Yeah, it's weird. People probably just look down on the live streams and find, who should I pick on today? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, pretty mean-spirited group of people out there sometimes. Yeah. But, you know, it's a strange world and I can't blame them for trying to beat the system. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned that you're kind of famous under just your first name of Melanie, and I suppose you were kind of lucky to become famous when you did, because there was Melanie B and Melanie C. Oh, but you got there first. I got there first. Uh, yeah, Melanie. I think the second famous Melanie was Melanie Griffin, mm. the actress. And then there was Melanie B, Melanie C. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Well, where are we able to keep up to date with you everywhere if we'd like to do that and also listen to all your music from all the years? Great, yeah. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, I have a website. <laughs> I have um, Facebook, The Real Melanie. Mm. Uh, and then I'm, I I have a Patreon. Ooh. I bit the bullet and I just, just this year, I, I mean, I decided... I, you know, I'm calling on my dear, my dear ones, my fans, my friends from over the years, new people to um, help me put out the music that I I continue to create. So uh, it's Patreon is one place to find me. And that's really fun. We make it. You know, I do special things for that group. And and it it almost feels like you're in a club, you know. I've never been much of a club person, but um, it's cool. And then band camp is, you know, independent Mm. music people. And I have a website and Facebook and Instagram. And I'll be posting some sort of a a banner, you know, for Mm. the live stream show. And yeah, yeah, I'm I'm out there, you know, I'm I'm. um, 
as far as mainstream PR, there's not that much, you know, but I'm here and um, I, I still write. In fact, I've written so many songs. We're going to be putting out a new album. Mm-hmm. We're debating about the title. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, I'm going to put that out. And there have been different record labels. I'm going to keep it as independent as I can. I'm, yeah. Most likely will just be, and we do have Article 27 music, which is uh, coming at it from a human rights point of view. So when the... Um, I do have the Drury Lane uh, concert on CD from Article 27 Music. And yeah, because I, I have my own tapes. I own my tapes. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's unbelievable, you know, that, that, that I'm in this situation where I don't get compensated for my work over the years. Yeah. But I believe it's going to change. Yeah, that's certainly an interesting idea. Well, thank you very much for joining us on the show today. It's very nice of you to take the time. Yeah, thank you. I, I think it's nice to me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go cook some meatballs. Mm. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The throbbing pulse of sound, the Toby Gribben Show.